The best stories are the ones that you don't realize they're tugging at you. This is The Sparkcast, a bi-weekly show where we explore the creativity, technology, and business of CG. I'm your host, Marina Antunes. Peggy Holmes is proof that a career in animation can start at any age. Before animation, she had an enormously successful career as a choreographer for film and stage, going on the road with Michael Jackson on two tours and even being spoofed on Saturday Night Live. So how did she get from choreography to directing? We spoke with Peggy about her first career, the transition into animation at Disney, her move to Skydance Animation, and the making of the studio's first animated feature film, Luck. Here is our conversation with Peggy Holmes. I wanted to start by asking you about, you know, where you grew up, because you've mentioned in the past that you grew up in a large family. So tell me a little bit about, you know, young Peggy. Yeah, okay. I grew up in San Jose, California, right? And I am number four of seven kids. Yeah, so I'm right smack dab in the middle. (laughs) Although I still have a bit of bratty qualities, even though I shouldn't because I'm in the middle. Uh, my siblings would tell me. Anyway, yeah, so I grew up in San Jose and I started taking dance class when I was about eight years old because my best friend across the street, they had someone from their temple was starting a dance studio. And so I, they said, do you want to come and take this dance class with me? And I'm like, sure, you know, I guess my mom probably said sure. So I started dancing when I was eight and that's my first love. So that's that's what I pursued as a career. So as soon as I graduated from high school, I moved down to Los Angeles and I hit the audition lines. Like that was my life, like standing in line, getting a number, auditioning with hundreds of people, getting cut, getting not cut, you know, getting kept, you know, making it through three callbacks and then getting the job. Like, so that was my life and my first love. Did you have, other than, you know, doing the classes, did you have any other formal training in dance? No, 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 no. I I just took jazz, tap, ballet, acrobatics for 10 years until I got out of high school. So that that was my life. I did train. I would go, I lived in San Jose, but uh, myself and my dance teacher, Fran Atlas, was awesome. And she would take me with her to classes up in San Francisco. So like on Saturday mornings, I would teach dance to little kids, like three to seven-year-olds. This is all in high school. And then I would travel up after those classes to San Francisco. And we would take classes from this amazing woman named Ann Garvin. And I also would travel on my spring breaks and summer breaks. We would travel to Los Angeles and take from teachers that were in Los Angeles. So that was sort of my broader training was to get out in the world a little bit. Dance turned out to be like super successful for you. Like when I looked you up, I was like, oh my God, this was like a whole other life that was amazing for you. So you st- you know, you talk a little bit about auditioning and sometimes getting the jobs and sometimes not getting the jobs. When did it start to develop and to like move from like dance to like choreography? Because they're slightly different things, right? Listen, I was lucky enough to work as a dancer. That was my whole, like I was lucky to have a career like and sustain myself. I never had to have another kind of job, knock on wood. Since I've been 18, I've been able to make a living in show business. But um, 
So when I started doing sort of film and television and I was on sets and I could see what the choreographer did and what the assistant choreographer did, I was super interested in the production part, you know, working with the cameraman, you know, making the schedule for the dancers. Like I really loved the production part, you know, so I started to then assist choreographers and then you know, I worked a lot with um, Kenny Ortega, who was just super generous toward me. And, uh, you know, I, I worked a lot with him. And so I I just really adored kind of having the responsibility of production also. So I started pretty early to kind of spend half my time in the year on camera and half the time off camera. And then slowly but surely, I was kind of ready to stop performing and just work off camera. And with the skills that you have, I mean, clearly the direction and, you know, the the sort of team building and keeping everybody like on track and on schedule comes fairly natural if you, you know, geared toward that right away. How does your skills as a dancer sort of help you with your leadership? You know, I think dancers are just... Uh by nature, super disciplined. It's like any other athlete, right? I mean, the amount of plies we've done standing at a bar, the amount, you know, the amount of repetitive movement. And then also, if you think about any great musical number in a film or whatever, you've got whatever, you know, anywhere between 10 and 35 dancers doing the same thing in sync together. So it's a team sport. You need to be able to feel the other people around you. You need to be able to connect with them. You all need to kind of see the vision of, we want this number to look great. And it takes all 35 of us on our game to do that. So I think it comes from that. There's a lot of discipline in dance. You had an amazing run in the I like I looked at the movies like I love all of these Hocus Pocus, Newsies, like so Newsies. that's still like a, they're bona fide classics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Newsies was such a great experience because um again Kenny Ortega directed it and you know those boys, you know, were just we wanted them to have the camaraderie that boys of that period who actually were scrapping on the streets would have. So all the set moms, their mothers, who are lovely, we made a whole area for them that was really far away from where we were working so that the boys themselves would take on these personalities and the older ones would take care of the younger ones. And, you know, and, and the same with the executives. We actually had a sign out in front of the soundstage where we rehearsed that said, no suits allowed. And we asked the executives to like take off their jackets and ties before they came in. So we wanted to create an environment in which the boys would flourish as these these young boys that could live on the street, you know? And so it was an extraordinary experience. It was so super fun, but a lot to wrangle, a lot to wrangle. I mean, we did find out that the youngest boys were actually gambling, like with their lunch and stuff. And we were like, okay, that (laughs) we've gone one step too far, one step too far. But, you know, they were extraordinary. And we had a lot of, on that particular uh, show, we had some very um, classically trained dancers like myself. And then we had a lot of street dancers, which Kenny Ortega and I both love the energy and the 
the excitement that comes from street dancers who bring a different slant, you know, to the choreography. So it was really great to put those two disciplines together in the same movie, in the same scenes. Yeah. You were part of so many successful films, but I have to ask, when SNL spoofed the Michelle Pfeiffer piano scene, I'm assuming you didn't know that that was happening. Like, how did you find out about that? What was your reaction? Like, No, greatest honor of all time. I mean, it's the greatest honor of all time when you put something out there and SNL spoofs it. You're like, yes, it's on the radar. It's on the radar. Yeah, yeah. And that was my very first job, actually, as a choreographer. Really? Yeah, that was my very first job. And the the whole idea of it was... um, uh, you know, it said it, it, in the script they wanted Michelle's character to be on top of the piano and get down on camera and sit next to Jeff Bridges' character. And they just couldn't figure out how to do that. So they wanted a choreographer to come in and kind of figure that out for her. So I figured it out. It was quite simple, actually. It was one of those things where I just thought, oh, at the end of the piano keys is that black piece, you know? If she puts her foot there, puts her hand on Jeff's shoulder, goes to the piano bench and then sits down, you know, I think it'll work out. And so it's one of those things where you go to the set and you show them, how about something like this? And they all look at each other like, why didn't you think of that? You know, because it seems so simple. We did build it up, though. We built up that little side piece on the piano keys to make it just a little bit easier because she was in pretty high heels, you know. So um, so it was super fun. And, and then I had, again, I think dancers are really disciplined. They hadn't asked me to prepare a routine, but I had done that anyway, just in case. So then when we sh- when I showed them how to get off, I said, oh, I have a... I kind of worked out a routine for the song. Do you guys want to see it? And they said, sure. And so that's how I ended up choreographing the whole piece. And they had an idea, the director of photography or the director, I can't remember which one it was. They had always had in their mind, they were going to do one 360 degree shot in the movie. And when they saw the routine, they said, let's do that. Yeah. So it was a really cool, organic way. You know, it came it came, came around in a very organic, creative way. It was super fun. You bring something up that I hadn't considered, and that's this idea that, you know, you can call on a choreographer to help you with stuff that's other than dance. There are so many awesome choreographers out there that do these, like, amazing dance numbers with lots of dancers and stuff. And I often was the choreographer who came in and did work that didn't look choreographed. So I did a lot of work that you would never know was choreographed. I mean, you bring up Hocus Pocus, for instance. So I worked with the three gals, right? Bet and Kathy and Sarah. And I um, helped them stage all of their scene work, right? Because you've got three people on camera all the time. Not all, they didn't always have dialogue. You know, Bet had a lot of the dialogue and Kathy and Jimmy and Sarah Jessica sometimes didn't have dialogue, but you wanted to understand their relationship, their playfulness, you know, when they were irritated or not irritated, how they get in rhythm and in sync. So I actually helped them choreograph all their scene work on top of I did all their flying with them you know so I often did work like that where it doesn't look choreographed and I love that kind of work yeah because there were there were a few films like Wayne's World and Sino Man and I was like there's choreography in those movies did I watch the same movie 
that's great. That's impressive. Yeah, Wayne, yeah, Wayne's World, I did the little foxy uh, for Dana oh Carvey. God, so amazing. I came up with that little little gesture he does on the top of his head. But it's my favorite kind of work to do is what would the character do? Or, you know, if you put a hand gesture on a certain lyric while someone's saying something, it can be more meaningful than if you don't. So it's that kind of like nuance that I love doing. And frankly, like uh, Bette Midler loves doing that kind of homework. Like that's the kind of work she did, you know. So I also got to do with her. Um, she played Mama Rose in Gypsy, and it's a extraordinary performance. And I think a lot of people don't realize she was singing live. She was singing live in that performance, and so everything was planned out to the T. And not to say if the actor is in the moment and they change something, that's fine. But we sculpt it with their physical life and their physical storytelling, you know, with their body. We kind of sculpt the performance with their body so they have that to start from, you know, and then they can obviously do whatever they feel in the moment. I think I, I kind of see how choreography took you into directing but before we get there I have to ask about Michael Jackson because you toured with him right yeah I again with Kenny Ortega I was associate director on two tours but I will say like I I did not do any choreography for Michael Jackson that is not <laughs> that is like way out of my wheelhouse those awesome awesome moves you know he he had amazing choreographers like michael peters and vincent patterson and you know so um i was there more uh to uh assist kenny in getting the show up and the rhythm of the show and you know we had like uh illusions and you know and sort of working with the dancers and stuff so much more in it like a like a, i think i was an assistant director or associate director to kenny and it was more about the rhythm of the show and getting the whole show up and it, it they were massive shows and so just helping work with the stage manager about the timing of calling the show and you know just those kinds of things because they were quite theatrical so that was really my role there was to get the show show up. How did you end up at Disney working on animated films? I had done a lot of work for Disney in my career. There are two uh, music executives, the great Chris Montan, who just became a Disney legend, and Matt Walker. And so they worked in live action and in animation. They are the ones that actually said, hey, do you want to come and consult on song sequences inside our animated films? That was the first time I saw and learned what animation was, was I came in and consulted on song sequences. And so that's literally in, in a meeting is when I learned what a story artist was and how they drew iterations in pencil before it goes to animation and story reels and, you know, all of that stuff. So that's, that's how it happened, actually. At what point did you think, well, maybe this is something I want to try to do? As I learned more and more about the collaborative nature of animation, I just fell in love with it. You know, the idea of the team sport of it all. You know, that you have so many artists touching the same moment and each time making it better. I really liked that idea. And then also Disney offered me to direct a short. And I thought, you know, I'd often been asked, you know, do you have any ideas of directing? I love thinking about why people do what they do or 
certain choices people make in life. I, I love thinking about that or emotionally where people are at at any time in their life. I'm super interested in that. So so they offered me to direct a short. And so I just, I just took it because I thought, oh, I should try this. Like I should see what this is like to direct. What were you, what was that experience of like learning on the job like for you? But kind of like a second career at this point too. And I had little kids and, you know, I thought animation was better for my family also because it's a little more like a nine to five than my other world of having to travel. Like I think I had just done Michael Jackson and we had done like, you know, there was just a lot of traveling and my kids were little. So I thought, oh, this, this is good for my family also. which is a good thing. Learning on the job. Yeah, it was um, it was great. I mean, I, I, Pam Marsden was our producer, so she was really great. And we had a supervising director on that project. So basically on that project is when I really learned that in animation, the director is part of creating the story in a way that it's not always the case in live action. So when I learned that and I could work, there wasn't a lot of dialogue in the first thing I did. It was called Bells on Ice, but it was my idea. You know, it was going to be a Christmas special. Disney wanted this project to give new directors a chance, right? Because it's a little bite-sized piece. Um, So I learned a lot on that on kind of, I guess, how to tell a story. I learned a lot on that piece. And there wasn't a lot of dialogue in that piece. But conceptually, it was the idea that I pitched was, what if Minnie and Daisy are performing in a local ice carnival or whatever it was, and they prepare to the same song? Like, that was my pitch. And that's how I got the job, was literally just on that idea. So then you have to now like, oh, how do you make it more entertaining? You know, so it was really fun. That's then the first time that I really had a story artist team and 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 worked with an edit, editor and, you know, and so I just got, got it to the point that the story reels were approved. And then the supervising director, you know, did all of the production and stuff. So I yet I hadn't yet learned about that part of it, if I'm being honest. Like I didn't know what it was like to then take it to animation and take it to layout and take it to or layout first obviously and then animation and then color and then so that came later and it was like go 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 right from that point because like shortly after that you did the little mermaid and then the two tinkerbell films and those i mean all the characters that you've worked with at disney are all people have an association with them they have an expectation of what those characters are like how do you go about creating a story that's true to the character and also true to you and what you want to get across. I'm a Disney fan, so I think that helps. And I think I also love sweet, positive stories. So that so I'm a good fit. I was a good fit for Disney. You know, I love sweet, positive stories. I'm just a good fit in that way, I think. Just my taste is similar. Um, to the things I love about that. And and I think you can always sort of look at a character, a great character like Minnie Mouse or Daisy Duck or Tinkerbell. You know, those are great characters. And I think you can find something that you can relate to in them because they're just fantastic characters, you know. You were at Disney for almost a decade before you went off to Skydance. Was it hard to make that jump? You know, it wasn't hard because I was at Disney Toon Studios and the studio dissolved. So it it wasn't difficult because the studio dissolved. So I was looking for a new home. 
let's talk a little bit about this new opportunity and luck, which is the first animated feature out of Skydance. How did you come to the project? I was hired at Skydance mm-hmm. to develop a series, te- television series, right? And I was super excited because um, one thing David Ellison and, and, and John Laster are completely behind is this idea of telling stories with a deep emotional core. I'm up for that all day long. I love that idea, you know, and I love like, for me, the best stories are the ones that you don't realize they're tugging at you and then they really tug at your heartstrings. As an audience member, I love those kinds of stories. So they're very, very committed to that idea. So um, anyway, I was developing TV series and there was a Project Luck that was in in process and they decided to make a change on that project. So they asked me to look at it. So they decided to make a leadership change on that project. And they asked me to look at it and there were two things in the materials that I was drawn to. One was this idea that there's a girl growing up in foster care. And as you mentioned earlier, you know, I come from a really big family and I'm I'm just like, that's, it's the thing I cherish most in life. And I could see, oh, I could create a story where this girl with no family finds family. And then there was a leprechaun and it was just, it was a very different proje- project, but there was one leprechaun. And so I thought, okay, if we take this idea of a leprechaun and expand it out to a completely magical world where uh, luck creatures exist, if I could tell this very real grounded idea of someone finding family in this sort of magical world, that could be something really interesting. So that's what I came back to them. Like, what if we did something like this and they were like, yeah, let's do it. You know, so it was really those two little notions were there. And then we had to figure out what is the story? You know, what is the world? We had to build all of that. And what does that process look like for you when you start trying to do the world building and flushing out the details of the story? It's super messy. You know, we were on an accelerated schedule, right? Because we wanted to keep our release date the same. So it just, you know, we do research. It, it just, you start to research, you know? So the first thing I did on the movie was there, there was this whole packet that our development department had put together on sort of the research they had done on lucky icons, numbers, colors, all around the world, right? Because all around the world, luck means different things in different countries. So we had that. So we looked at all that research and I handed that out to the artists, the story artists and the art department and said, okay, you got two or three days, you know what I mean, go crazy. So they all had a blast looking at the packet and sort of, I wanted them to just explore creating characters because now we want to create a world, right? So that's the first thing, that's the very first thing I did was to get the team going on sort of what could this world be. And the artists are so amazing. I mean, they're just so incredible. So out of that, out of that exercise came, you know, our Babe the Dragon, you know, it came Jeff the Unicorn. Out of that came these millennial Gen Z mashup leprechauns, female leprechauns, so much little Rudies that are bad luck. So much came out of that exercise. So you just, you just rely on your team. Just give them the stuff and say, go, you know? So then, and then the other thing we did, which was critical for Keel Murray, the writer and myself, was to talk with young adults who had been through this similar circumstance 
as our lead character. So we talked to these amazing young adults who had lived experience in foster care and were out in the world now with literally no one. And so these young adults, we were so inspired by them because you can imagine someone who has real bad luck like that in their life, right? Real, real life bad luck. You can imagine a story where they kind of go to the negative dark side and ultimately come to the light. But these kids were just so positive and so hardworking and so hopeful that they will somehow find a family and wanting the best for their friends. And we were just so drawn to that, that we were like, that's the story, is these kids that are out in the world, you know, and just so giving and loving and hopeful, despite the bad luck that they've had in their life. And so we were just really inspired. So those are the, that's kind of how we got started on the story. One of the things that I really like about the movie, and I'm getting a little tear-eyed, sorry, <laughs> that, that, that was really powerful. One of the things I really like about it is the fact that even the bad luck, the unlucky ones, there's a real positivity and a really amazing just energy in all of the worlds and in all of the characters. And it's all just sort of very, like, positive, but with an eye to the reality that sometimes things will go badly, how was it to find, how difficult was it to find sort of that balance of staying happy, but also acknowledging that the reality of life can sometimes be really hard? Yeah, yeah, because it's like you don't want to dismiss the bad luck. So again, when we were speaking with these young adults, they they really, um, they, they, they were something super clear to Keel and I, which was they wouldn't want to go through that bad luck again. They wouldn't wish it on others, but they wouldn't change it because they feel like it got them to the place they are now. So it was that idea of it's bad luck is valuable. So when we started then having like in our story meetings with myself and um, Ray Shenesay and Lawrence Gong, our co-heads of story and Keel and Ray and Lawrence and I would meet every single day. And when we started talking about that, that particular idea or theme you know, all of us could relate to the idea that like, at some times you look back on your life and what seemed to be the worst bad luck ever actually turned out to be good luck because it led you to something you may never have discovered, you know? And we all said, oh, we could all see that in our lives. Like when you look back, you're like, maybe that wasn't such bad luck because I wouldn't have gone over there, you know? And so we started thinking, oh, that's such a relatable, positive idea. The other thing I did at the very beginning of the project was to research luck itself. And there's humans are obsessed with it. There's so much out there to read about luck. Lectures, papers, books. When I distill it all down, it came down to this idea that luck is random. You can't create it. You can't control it. It's completely random. So that's one of the stakes we put in the ground that like uh, in the movie, we have to make sure that luck is random because that's how us humans experience it, right? So the other big, deep emotional thing that we got from talking with these young adults is, you know, no, 
as they're growing up and they're struggling with no families, people tell them, you know, it's just bad luck. This is not you. It's just bad luck. It's circumstance. But deep inside, they feel like they are the bad luck. You know, they are the bad luck. And at some point, someone in their life comes around and is able to tell them finally in a way that they believe it, that they are not their bad luck. So it was just sort of separating this I, this random thing that happens to you, separating that from yourself. So I think that's also what we're hearing audiences are loving about the movie. I think that there's an emotional intelligence in the film that works on such an amazing level because my seven-year-old niece watched it Mm -hmm. and she got that like she got this concept of luck not being something you can control and the fact that you guys managed to distill that concept into this really amazing and fun movie to watch and the kids walk away and they have this feeling that they've learned something that's really untangible Oh, that's so sweet. Super impressive. That's sweet to hear. It was many, many, uh, many, many conversations, you know, about it. Like many conversations and many times weeding through the script and weeding through the story rails to make sure that we stuck with our own rules. Luck is random, you know what I mean? And bad luck isn't, you know, bad luck's the hero of our movie, right? So it was really just a lot of conversations about that subject. And again, it comes from the research of all of us wanting to do right by these young adults who shared their stories. Like we wanted to get it right for them. One of the things that I thought was really interesting in an interview that you did, you mentioned how, you know, when you start thinking about the worlds and like when you were designing the lucky world, there weren't like hand railings or anything. And it's hilarious because I, I heard you say that and I'm like, oh my God, I totally had not even realized that. Yeah, they can just like, if you have good luck all the time, you don't need any of the things. Like we have a lot of things in our world that are put there because like bad luck could happen. You know what I mean? So yeah, they didn't need any of that. The good luck guy, they just don't need any railings. They don't, because good luck is all about timing. You know, if you think about like your best day ever, it's like, it go, it's like, there's lucky timing that goes on, right? And there's lucky things that happen. We just wanted it to feel like that, like the best musical number ever where everything just goes perfectly. <laughs> But I mean, how do you even start to think outside the box to say, you know, they wouldn't need this because they're never going to fall over. To me, that's, it seems so obvious, but also so like, wow, I never even considered that. Again, it's all about the team, right? You've got the art department thinking about the world and like coming to the table with these great ideas, you know, it's really just the team is so amazing. And the movie has this amazing palette of colors. It's so bright and so colorful. I love that there's green in it, but it's not like super obvious. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about like visual storytelling and how that all came together? Yeah, that is Fred Warder, our production designer. He is incredible. He is just incredible. And so again, that packet I talked about that had all the luck research in it, we gave that to Fred the first week also. <laughs> Keel and I talked to him a little bit about what we thought the story was going to be about, right? And this idea of a lucky penny that we thought that maybe a lucky penny would would play a key role. And so Fred went away and came back with the very first image he did for the movie was two worlds on opposite sides of a coin. 
And so he, that was the first piece of artwork he did. And he, he just was like, I don't know, something like this. And we all went bananas. Like, what the heck? Yes, that's it. So really, it just comes from Fred. And then his just taste of color. Like, it's just always appealing. It looks amazing. Again, we didn't want bad luck to be the bad guy, right? So we wanted the purple of bad luck to be beautiful and sparkly. And, you know, so he just, you know, he just nailed it. Like, he just has amazing taste. His crew was incredible, you know, and he just really did create all of that. You know, he and his team, it looked amazing. Every production has its own special set of challenges. Mm. What was the most challenging part, other than the story itself, of production? Skydance Animation is in three locations. We're in Los Angeles. We're in the New York City, Connecticut area. We call it Skydance East, where we were able to actually um, pick up a lot of blue sky artists which was fantastic. So we, we, we love working with them at Skydance East, and then we have Skydance Madrid. So I think we're a company in three different time zones. So sometimes in the middle of production like that got to be challenging. That was challenging to make sure that we're making the space to have enough meaningful creative collaboration, literally hours in the day enough. You know, just figuring that out was challenging, especially under COVID because we had planned to travel to Madrid and then we couldn't. So I think that, you know, we're super grateful we were able to work all throughout COVID, but the movie was made all over Zoom, you know, for the most part. So we had to just figure out new strategies to feel like we're in the same room. So I would say for me, that was probably the most challenging. Can you share what maybe one of those strategies was to kind of give that team feeling like you're all together on this thing. One thing we learned very quickly, as you all know, over Zoom, you can't talk on top of each other. So normally in a meeting, you're like, yes, and this, and then the blah, 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 and, and you can still understand. So we had to learn to like be polite, be more polite, <laughs> even though we're like enthusiastic and we want to jump in. So we learned that kind of rhythm. We started the production team, our production team, all our coordinators and stuff were so great because what would start to happen is Ray Shenese always has a pen and paper in hand. So he would draw something and literally hold it up to the Zoom window camera. And he'd be like, something like this? Did you want something like this? We're like, yeah, that's it. That's it. And then literally the production coordinators would take a picture of it, blast it out to the rest of the story team. So now they're looking at it right there. So it was like those kinds of processes that we we kind of learned, like that became our clipboard, you know? So instead of normally in a bullpen where you've got storyboards pinned up on a thing, we started to like do digital versions of those and send them out and we got into a rhythm. How do you manage your day when you're on a production, everybody's looking to you for answers. How do you sort of go about preparing for your day each morning? I have like really messy, 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 messy desk. I like to prepare for a meeting, you know, if I'm going to have a meeting where I'm going to pitch something or I know the story, uh, you know, I have to pitch a new story moment or something like that. I write bullets and notes. I, I write myself notes, even though I know what I want to say in the moment. I, I, I just want to have something near me that helps guide me through the thinking process, right? Because I think when you pitch an idea, if you don't give all the information, then sometimes people can't give you the 
like an honest reaction. So I just have lots and lots and lots of notes and I like checking off boxes. <laughs> like I got that done. So I, I, that's kind of what my day looks like. It's like a kind of a really, really messy desk. And then being home, I, you know, it was, it was actually nice to be home because I could see my family more than I would have had we been in the studio. Because the project was intense, like I said. We only had like two years to make it. How do you stay creative? The artist. You know, you wake up maybe and you're really tired and then you see some great drawing or a great piece of animation or, or a color script that Fred shares and you just get excited all over again. It's literally the artists that keep you going. When you're now, you know, luck is out there in the world and you're sharing it with everyone and you're talking about, you know, how it was made, even with when you were working on the series, where do you look to to be inspired by stories? Connecting with other people. I think that's what inspires me. You know, I did a film for Tinkerbell called Secret of the Wings, and I have a best friend that I've known since I was five. And, you know, I just think about her, you know, and my other best friend, like Lisa, that I've known since I was five, and then Debbie, who I connected with when I was, like, you know, in in junior high. And I think about those connections, and I adore them so much that I want to explore them, like what makes that happen. I think that's what inspires me is connecting with other people and understanding what those connections are and why they are. You in particular have worked repeatedly with a lot of people that you worked for with before, like you did a couple of projects with Ed Midler, mm-hmm. you did a couple of projects with Shel Pfeiffer, mm-hmm. then your Tega you worked with quite a bit. So there's that theme in your life where, you know, relationships and connection are really, really important. How do you unwind? Yeah, I think, look at, I also love to watch, I love to watch movies and watch TV. I love, there's reality TV that I love to watch because it's, it's, I'm no offense to reality TV, but it's kind of mindless. Like you don't have to follow the story in a deep way. And, but you're still, again, watching these different personalities and how they connect and what moves they make. So I do that. Before luck, I used to work out. I don't know. I've got to get back to that, but I'm finding that very difficult. Yeah, I think that's it. I do like to watch something and have good food. You're a minority in the animation industry. There aren't a lot of women directing features, but there are a lot of girls that go to school for animation. So I wanted to ask you a sort of like an end point. What would your recommendation be to girls that think, you know, maybe I want to do that? Yeah, I would just say like, explore it. And if you love it, do it. If you love it, do it. We had someone on our story crew, Clarice, and we were her first job coming out of Cal Arts. And it was incredible. By design on the story team and the rest of the crew, actually, you know, we really wanted diversity in both age and gender on the story crew because it's so valuable to hear people's reaction to story points or hear their point of view. Like it is incredibly valuable. And we, by design, really wanted that. So I know Clarice just literally right out of Cal Arts, she got this job, you know? So I think you just, if you love it, go for it, go for it. And in Madrid, I will say our animation team in Madrid and, and our team in general, a lot of women 
were on our team a lot. We had these amazing um, twin sisters that were animators on the movie that animated on some of the same scenes. Like one of them would do the dragon and one of them would do Sam, you know, like, so in, I will say in Madrid, we had a lot of female animators on the movie, which was incredible. So I think just, just if you love it, do it. If you love it, do it. The doors are open and opening more and more and more. And that was our conversation with Peggy Holmes. You can find Peggy's latest project, Luck, now streaming on Apple TV+. The Sparkcast is a production of the Spark Computer Graphics Society. Opening and closing credits by Michael Edlin. Editing and additional production support by Joshua Peterman. For more about Spark CG and our upcoming events, visit sparkcg.org.